One thing that's always been true about mankind is that we have always loved celebrities. We've always loved people who are famous, who are known for doing incredible things. Some people who are known just for being famous. Whether it's the warriors from the days of the Roman Colosseum, to the uh, early band leaders of the 20s, to the beginning on-screen actors in the 30s and 40s, to the social media personalities that we have today. We love celebrities so much so that I decided to look up who the largest Instagram accounts are that have the, the largest amount of followers. And what you find, number one, the number one uh, IG handle, the number one profile is international footballer or soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo has 414 million followers. Now, to put that in perspective, if Ronaldo's Instagram were a country, it would be the third most populous in the world behind China and India and just ahead of the United States. This list is made up of two soccer players, three singers, one Hollywood movie star, The Rock, uh, and four Jenner slash Kardashians. We love celebrities ranging from anywhere between 225 million to 414 million. All of these profiles have incredible amounts of followers. And why? This isn't even a knock or a critique. This is just an observation. Why do we love celebrities and why do we engage at such high levels? Well, ostensibly, social media makes celebrities more accessible than ever before, right? That's the idea. But here's a question. How many followers have actually met these celebrities? Further, how many followers are actually known by these celebrities or have actual relationships with these celebrities? But consider this. Kylie Jenner has 319 million followers. She's the 10th most followed profile on Instagram, but she only follows 81 people. Look through the comments under Beyonce's latest post. Beyonce is number eight on the list. But if you look through the comments, the one person you're not likely to see a comment from is Beyonce. Why? Well, because of, every, of all the people that are on this list, Beyonce follows zero people. Those in the beehive would say Beyonce follows no one. Celebrities like these, they don't often follow or have relationships with their followers, yet thousands of people, millions of people follow, believing that they have some meaningful interaction with them, when in fact, this is just not the case. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because I suspect that many of us who profess to follow Jesus may have a similar challenge. Many of us who claim to follow Jesus are nothing more than the very people that follow these celebrities, which really aren't actual followers, even though the name is used. They're just fans. And many of us are calling ourselves followers when at best Maybe we're showing ourselves to be just fans. Now, Jesus is incredibly popular. Without equivocation, Jesus Christ is the most influential figure in all of human history. So much so that we record our calendar years based on the approximate year of Jesus' birth. 
AD and BC, approximately two and a half billion people claim to follow Jesus all over the world. With Christianity being the most populous religion in the world, roughly 31% of the world identifies it as Christian. And behind that, rough almost a quarter identifies as Muslim. Jesus is really popular. Jesus has a lot of fans. You'll find his name on bumper stickers, coffee mugs, t-shirts. He's so popular that people who talk about Jesus for a living are celebrities themselves, making millions of dollars with books, music, and merch. But again, I wonder if many of us follow Jesus in the same sense in which we follow Instagram celebrities. Do we really follow Jesus? Or are we just fans exposed to his fame? Is Jesus more than a celebrity and are followers more than fans? Well, this invites the question, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Now, as we move through this season of Lent, we are moving through this series called Follow Me, where we are taking a deep look at what Jesus means when he calls us to follow him. His call to follow is not a call that's merely uh, a request to watch, to like, and to repost. It requires us to be available, to be flexible, and to be teachable. Our text today is in the book of Matthew, and I want to direct our attention to three cases where Jesus first called his disciples to follow him. We're going to look at two sets of brothers and one individual man. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 4 verses 18 through 22, and Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. So let's begin Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning, uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now let's move to Matthew chapter 9 quickly and look at this third example where we see Jesus calling uh, one to follow him. As Jesus went on from there, this is Matthew 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he had heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we look at these three examples, there are some things I hope we notice about what it means to be a follower. I hope that we're able to see a clear line of demarcation between what it means to actually be a fully changed follower of Jesus versus uh, just a mere fan of Jesus. And these examples we're looking at today are 
are great examples to show what authentic followership looks like. So let's look at the first example. Here we have two brothers, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. Now, one thing that I want us to see, these two sets of brothers who are both fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and then later James and John, one of the first things to understand about what it means to be a follower is that to be a follower is not merely to be a volunteer. To follow is to first be available, and availability is not about convenience. Consider James and John and Simon and Andrew here. Here you have brothers in the middle of working their job. They're casting a net into the sea. Simon and Andrew were in the middle of working a busy day, right? Going about their business. They are career fishermen. That's how they make their living. That's how they feed their families. That's how they put food on the table. This is how they function in society. They're doing their normal day-to-day job. The same goes with James and John. They're mending their fishing nets with their father in the family business, their father, Zebedee. All these men, they had seen Jesus. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about him being a remarkable teacher, a worker of miracles. But those stories, they didn't change their lives, right? They didn't change them. And by, and by that, I mean their lives were the same as they had always been. Get up early, fish all day, go home. Whatever Jesus was doing really didn't have a lot to do with them. And yet, when Jesus called, they left. They, they moved. They followed. They walked away from their livelihoods and they just left. What this shows us is that a part of following is is about being available while possibly being inconvenienced. These men were available, but it was not convenient to follow Jesus. If they were just volunteers, then they would wait until it was a convenient time in order to volunteer their time, almost as a favor. And yet these men are moving and they're available while inconvenienced. They're flexible to the point of being uncomfortable. Now, this is an incredibly interesting point because what you notice is that these are men who have walked away from the only life they've known. Think about James and John leaving a father to run the family business on his own. And and according to Mark 1, this same account, the father had several hired servants as well. So maybe the sons were thinking, we can walk away from this. Dad's going to have to elevate some of these hired servants to take our our jobs, to take our roles. But in in any event, these are men who walked away from the job that they had been doing all of this time to follow Jesus. But having no real interaction with Jesus before this. And again, Make sure we see this as different from volunteering. By the way, there are places in the gospel where people did come to volunteer as disciples, but it never worked out. Why? Well, most times, same in church, volunteers often like to follow on their own terms. And in this case, not on Jesus's terms. There's some passages of scripture where uh, you have an example of one man wanting to know if the disciples had prospects and Jesus replied that he was essentially homeless and the man walked away. Another case, a man said he would follow Jesus after his father died at some point in the future and walked away. Another said he wanted to go home first 
And Jesus knew that he'd regret leaving his home behind. These are inconvenient situations, not even desirable situations. And yet what following means in Jesus's world is to be available even while being inconvenienced and to be flexible even when it requires some degree of discomfort. Then that takes us to Matthew. Now, unlike many of the disciples, Matthew didn't come from the blue-collar ranks. His name was also Levi. We, we see that as well uh, in the scriptures. We see that Matthew was a tax collector. If you recall in this part of the passage, that's where Jesus found him. Remember, Jesus says Jesus went on from there. He saw a man, by the way, he was in Capernaum. And the reason why Jesus was in Capernaum at that point was because he had heard about what had happened to John the Baptist, who had just been beheaded. And Jesus began to move and pick up disciples along the way. And so while he was moving on from Capernaum, he sees Matthew sitting at this toll booth. Now, this toll booth was the basically the table at which tax collectors would sit where they would collect taxes from the people. That's what Matthew was doing when Jesus found him, sitting there collecting taxes for the Roman government. Now, it's important to remember that the way tax collectors made their money back then, it wasn't just by charging residents the taxes that they owed to Caesar. But in order to make money for themselves, tax collectors would change or charge an additional percentage in order to put a little bit more money in their pockets. This meant that Matthew, while probably doing quite well for himself, was hated by society, by everyone. I mean, the Jews and the Romans didn't like him because his job was to cheat them out of their money. Devout Jews would have hated Matthew because tax collectors were dishonest and made money by cheating people. And then your nationalistic and patriotic Jews, they doubly hated Jewish tax collectors because they had gone over to the enemy and betrayed their own people for money. Matthew, after all of this occurs, Jesus calls Matthew from the tax collection booth, calls him, and Matthew left right away, immediately left to follow Jesus. But not only did he leave his collection desk to follow Jesus, Luke uh, 5.29 tells us that, that Matthew left, went home, and threw a dinner party for Jesus. So here in Matthew, this party that's thrown, it's actually thrown by Matthew himself. He throws Jesus a party, this dinner party, and he invites other influential people, including other tax collectors, including the despised, including the hated. And he invited them to this dinner party to speak with Jesus. Matthew left convenience, power, authority, and money in order to follow Jesus, a man he knew very little about. What do we see in Matthew? He's available, yet this is inconvenienced. He's flexible to the point of giving up familiarity and comfort. When you consider all that these men had to walk away from, without any real understanding of what a return on this new investment would, be, would mean, they had no idea what it would be to follow Jesus. They knew Jesus was, was causing some interest and some division amongst other folks in these Jewish communities. And yet they were willing to give up 
you, you see the difference here between just being a fan. When you're a fan, you get to pick and choose which positions you'll hold to and which positions you won't. You can pick and choose whether you agree with whoever it is you're a fan of, whether you agree with this statement or not. If you don't agree, you just don't like that one. If you do agree, you like it. If you don't agree, you don't repost it. If you do agree, you repost it. It's We can pick and choose which things about our celebrities we like, and we treat Jesus the same way. If there's something about this particular celebrity that would be an inconvenience to me in order to adopt the way they're thinking or the way that they're being or what they're choosing to do, that part of the inconvenience, I don't have to engage and I can just walk away. But that is not the case with Jesus. Jesus calls us to align with where he is, which means sometimes it will be uncomfortable which means we don't always have the option to decide and and figure out whether or not it's the right time to follow Jesus. These men knew the time they were called was the time to follow. And this takes us to this other aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. Being teachable. What it means to be both teachable and humble. Look again at the this latter part of Matthew 9. Uh, uh, verses 9 through 13. If you start at verse 11, remember, Jesus is there. Matthew has thrown this party and Jesus is reclining at the table in the house, which was a common posture. When you were at a dinner party, you would recline uh, on one elbow and use the other hand to eat and you would kind of be on your side while talking and visiting with other people. So Jesus is reclining and he's talking with all these tax collectors and sinners that are eating with Jesus and his disciples. And then, verse 11, the Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard this, he said, it's not for those who are well and sick, uh, who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Think about this. Think about what it means to follow Jesus again. Following Jesus means not only potentially leaving your comfortable and familiar stations in life, but also following Jesus means leaving your comfortable and familiar ways of thinking and believing. This includes your thoughts, your feelings, and even your theology. Think about what these Pharisees said. Why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? What was happening here? These Pharisees could not reconcile Jesus with their preconceptions of what holiness should look like. Someone speaking on behalf of Jehovah shouldn't be caught commiserating with tax collectors. <clears throat> and look at how Jesus responds. Again, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And then he tells them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Look at what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is recognizing, he knows for all of us, the things that get in the way of us following him are comfort and convenience and our feelings and thoughts. How I feel about a thing will determine whether or not I want to follow Jesus. What I think about a thing, <clears throat> what I believe about a thing, will, will have some impact on whether or not I follow Jesus. We are no different than these Pharisees here. Wait a minute. What I'm seeing from Jesus doesn't line up with what I thought or what my gut feeling says or what my feelings and my emotions say or what I've heard or what I've studied. Something doesn't line up here. 
that something doesn't quite make sense. And so Jesus responded by correcting and clarifying the Pharisees' faulty theology. What did he do? He quoted Hosea 6.6. That's what Jesus is quoting there when he says, y'all need to go back and study your Bible. You need to go back and learn what God has already revealed to you. When God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you didn't understand that well. He's not even giving them new theology. He's telling them that what they thought they understood about God before wasn't accurate altogether. He's saying, you guys, you, I need to help elucidate your understanding. But the problem was they were so married to what they felt and what they thought and what they had experienced that they were not teachable and they were not humble. Jesus is trying to show them, you all are looking at me with these people and you think that in order for people to be visited by God, they must first be qualified. But Jesus is trying to show them God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't come because people are good, wise, and strong. He comes because he knows people are in need of goodness, in need of wisdom, and in need of strength through salvation. If they were already these things, they wouldn't need a savior. But the Pharisees remain unmoved. They remain unwavering. They remain intransigent, unrelenting in their thoughts. Why? Well, this is us. My theology or my gut feelings dictate. If they dictate something different than what I'm seeing, I'm going to stick to what I feel and what I think. So if I see Jesus showing himself to be something different than what I've, all, than what I've already felt or thought, then I'm going to remain entrenched in what I already think or feel. You see, following Jesus means remaining humble and therefore teachable. Just because you confidently believe, feel, or think something, it doesn't mean it's therefore above critique, above correction, or above rejection. What am I saying? You cannot follow Jesus if you don't think and feel what he thinks and feels. So we need to always be evaluating and reevaluating what we think and what we feel. This is what it means to be humble. This is what it means to, to remain uh, teachable. One of the people we just mentioned here, Peter, he wrote later uh, about what it means to be teachable. And really, he, he, he encapsulated that with, with, with uh, explaining what it means to be humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And that's not always just talking about chronology, by the way, but we're talking about spiritual maturity and even times where maybe one person might have a little bit more insight into where God is than another. But uh, be subject to those. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So. If we are to walk in humility, if we are to walk uh, in a way that makes us more available, that makes us more flexible and makes us more teachable, let me ask you, are you actually following Jesus or are you just exposed to his fame? In between these two passages in Matthew, Jesus gives a sobering thought about what it means to follow him. In chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What Jesus is saying to us, this isn't just a way to shame and scare people into following him. That's not at all what it is. He's, he's really kind of identifying where we are and how we identify and how we define what it means to follow him. Because if we have the wrong definition, then we're not in relationship with, with Jesus the way we think we may be. We might say, but wait, Lord, I, I clicked on your profile pics. I shared your TikTok videos. I have a bumper sticker with a Jesus, uh, Jesus fish. I publicly align myself with your brand. Jesus doesn't call us to like him. He calls us to follow him. Unlike celebrities, Jesus is more accessible to us than any Instagram celebrity will ever be. Yes, God is transcendent. He is above where mankind is. He is beyond where mankind is. But he has made himself completely accessible, completely imminent, to use a theological term, by adding humanity to his divinity in order to make himself entirely within reach of humankind. This is what Paul meant when he wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, where he says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. To follow Jesus, it does mean it costs us something. We talked about that last week. To follow Jesus means that we have to always be asking ourselves, it's not just intellectually do I agree with him. It's, are there things that I'm having to rearrange in my world, in my life, in order to really follow him? It means, are there ways in which maybe the way that I do my job? Think about this. These, all of these examples of people following Jesus were people where Jesus redefined their very vocations for them. Sometimes, maybe not every time, but sometimes we might be in a position where the job that I actually do may need to change if I'm following Jesus. Or the way that I do my job should change because of the way that I follow Jesus. Maybe my motivations behind why I do my job will change because I follow Jesus. Maybe the, the ways that I, what I'm looking at studying in school should be affected by the, way, the ways that I follow Jesus. Maybe the ways that I engage with my neighbors should be, inf not maybe, they should be influenced by the ways that I follow Jesus. The ways that I vote should be influenced by the ways that I follow Jesus. In other words, all of life is rooted in what it means to follow Jesus. It's why I've not been a fan of the acronym that is often used in Christian churches to describe what it means to live out the Christian life. Many times they'll, they'll use, uh, we'll get on a board and draw the, the word joy. And you'll start J-O-Y. Each letter corresponds to what they believe to be these major pillars of the Christian faith. J for Jesus, O for others, U for you. <laughs> Jesus, others, 
yourself. I'm sorry, not with you. Why? So Jesus for uh, J for Jesus, O for others, Y for yourself. And the idea is handle the Jesus stuff first. Study your Bible, pray, follow him, make sure that you, you know, don't do anything bad or wrong or sinful. And now you can do your thing, care about some others, throw a turkey over a wall for Thanksgiving, pack a backpack, care for some folks here or there. And now you got that out of the way. Now you can do all the things you want to do for yourself. But that is not at all what the what following Jesus really looks like. In many ways, that's not following Jesus. That's just compartmentalizing Jesus. But following Jesus is a, a better analogy would be uh, think about the wheels of a bicycle and how you have a center of the bicycle and then you have spokes emanating from the center of the bicycle. And each spoke really should be a different aspect of our life. One spoke is me as a child to my parents. Another spoke is me as an employee, me as an employer, me as a husband, me as a father, me as a brother, me as a citizen, me as uh, uh, a friend, me as a neighbor, all of these things, me as a voter, all of these things are spokes that come out of who it is that we claim we believe in, who it is we're being transformed into. Because of all the fullness of God is in Jesus and he is using himself, reconciling everything to himself. What is he reconciling and who is he reconciling? He's reconciling us. The reconciling is necessary because why? He came to save the sick. We are sick on various levels, which means we are unreconciled until something changes. That change occurred when Jesus gave his life. And resurrected on our behalf so that we can be remade. What are you remade into? You're being remade into looking like the center of the wheel with all of the spokes. Glorifying Jesus. Looking like Jesus in every aspect. That's how he makes himself known to us. That's what it means for us to follow him. Jesus. The most famous person in human history is accessible. And, and he's not like a celebrity where uh, one celebrity has 400 million followers, but they only follow 81. Jesus does more than just follow. Jesus changes. He embraces. He is near. And he says, I love you. We say this all the time. I know you and I love you exactly as you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. So he enables us to be available. He enables us to be flexible, and he enables us to be teachable. This makes us much more than a fan, and it makes us much more than a volunteer, but an actual follower, empowered and changed by him. May we be a people that are motivated by increasingly looking more like Jesus by the ways in which we follow him, not just what we say about him, not just what we wear to, to make certain things more known about him, but the ways in which we comport ourselves, the ways in which we live our lives shows that we are not just following ourselves and we're not just a fan of Jesus, but we are a follower of Jesus because he has reconciled us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God that doesn't leave us the way you found us. God, I'm thankful that in the same ways that you saw the two sets of brothers in Matthew, in the midst of their work, in the midst of their vocation, you didn't just come see them drop a line and keep moving. You saw them, 
and you called them in the same way that you saw us and you've called us. God, I pray that you would make clear what it means for each and every one of us to follow you. May we be more than just a fan of you. May we be more than just people who quote you. Lord, let us be a people that genuinely follows you in all of its potential inconveniences and in all of its potential discomfort. May we be a people that follows you. Make us your followers more than your fans in Jesus name. Amen. Let's receive the benediction of God together. Listen to what it is that God does for us, his followers. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's followers said, Amen and Amen. God bless you.